Talk. Talk. WhatsApp John on 072-567-1567. 22 minutes now past four o'clock. I was reading, I think, on the BBC website earlier today about what is called an historic agreement reached after a decade of talks. And the first paragraph of the story reads, the UN has reached an historic agreement to protect huge parts of the world's oceans after a decade of negotiations. The High Seas Treaty is a legally binding deal which aims to place 30% of the seas into protected areas by 2030 to safeguard biodiversity within international waters. Dr. Judy Mann joins us now to comment, Executive of Strategic Projects at the Two Oceans Aquarium Foundation. Judy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Don, and good afternoon to your listeners. Is this something to get really excited about? Yes, and I think it's something that we can all get excited about. So we rely on the ocean really for survival on Earth. So better protection for the ocean is good for all of us. I think that the, the first thing is to really understand what are the high seas. And those are really the parts of the ocean that are not under the control of any single country. So all around each country is an exclusive economic zone. And that's where, for example, we as South Africa, we're looking after that exclusive economic zone that extends about 200 nautical miles offshore. Everything else in the ocean, two-thirds of the world's oceans, are not under any form of control with any government. So it really has been a a free-for-all out there. And this is the first time we can start to protect some of those high seas, which makes up a huge part of our planet. Uh, You said two-thirds of the planet. So if you protect 30% of that, um, you're protecting somewhere close to half of what would be defined as the high seas. So that would be part of it if we could get that 30% of those high seas protected. So we're not looking at protecting all of it, but we're looking at protecting 30% of that. So it would be a really significant step forward for ocean protection and for ocean health. Who decides which 30% gets protected, needs protection, and therefore gets protected status? John, now you're getting to the heart of it. So this is step one. This is the treaty, and this has taken over a decade of negotiation. Now what needs to happen is all the nations need to ratify it properly, and they need to look at an implementation plan. And that's where the real, real hard negotiations are going to take place in terms of who is going to do what. How are they going to manage these new protected areas? Where are they going to put them? What level of protection is going to happen in each of the protected areas? So there is a huge amount of work that still needs to be done. But I think what is so important is the nations have finally come together and realized that we do need to protect these high seas. So it is step one. There's still a lot of work to happen, but step one has happened. The last time we had a big binding agreement like this for the ocean was in 1982. So it's long overdue, but now the hard work starts in determining who, what, where, when, and how all of these protected areas are going to be implemented. Yes, um, being as cynical as I am about um, international 
lack of selfishness. You know, I just suspect that those people who do a lot of fishing in international waters aren't going to want those waters protected and fishing limits set in, in that particular area where they're taking out whatever it is that they're taking out of the ocean. So I, and you know, once the the protected areas have been agreed upon and declared, then who's going to police them? So I, I'm not trying to undercut any sense of achievement here, Judy, but I'm I'm sort of immediately and sceptically wondering what impact it's going to have in practice. I think that that is what many of us have initially thought. So I think that it's a, it's a very real concern. And it talks to all of the different big agreements that have been signed. So there is the whole climate change treaty. There is a big movement called 30 by 30, which aims to protect 30% of the ocean and 30% of the land by 2030. And this is another one of those big overarching targets that give us a framework to work within, but that doesn't mean that the work is done. And I think that that's where we really have to support governments to make the right decisions. So it's up to us as citizens to hold our governments accountable for these treaties, because ultimately the the nations have the right, but they have the responsibility to protect the high seas. And it's not just for current generations, it's for future generations. So it's up to us as citizens to hold our governments accountable. And it's not easy, but I think that it's something that we all have to look towards because the, the future of the planet really depends on us getting these treaties right. I mentioned fish and, and other saleable marine products, and I suppose that's the obvious first place to, the, uh, to which the mind goes, thinking about what needs protection. But, I mean, is there other stuff as well? In the BBC story, they were talking about um, the, the sort of genetics of underwater life needing significant protection. What's that about? So in the ocean, there are many, 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 many thousands and millions of different species of everything from sponges to seaweeds to little tiny algae to fish. So there's a huge amount of biodiversity in the ocean. And what they're finding by bioprospecting, by collecting pieces of this material, they're finding all sorts of interesting pharmacological products. So pharmaceuticals that can be made out of the products of, for example, a sponge or um, some other type of marine animal. And these genetic resources are valuable because if you find a cure for a disease from one of these marine products, it could be incredibly valuable financially. So bioprospecting is happening in the ocean. And one of the things that they want to look at with this treaty is making sure that the nation's that actually hold that biodiversity get the benefit because often the rich nations are able to do the bioprospecting, develop the product, sequence the, the whole genetics. They're able to get all the pharmaceuticals out of the, these products and identify what works and what doesn't work, um, but then they keep the profits. So one of the things is looking at ensuring that there's benefit sharing so that where these resources are used, the nations that are close to them are able to benefit. And then with the high seas, making sure that everyone benefits. So it's looking at, at how do we make sure that there is equitable um, beneficiation with these products. The other thing that it will be looking at is also the uh, deep sea mining and making sure that there is more control and management over deep sea mining, which is something that is starting to, to be looked at seriously around the world. So that's another thing that, that this treaty will help a little bit better, better control over. 
How well are we doing in protecting the the biodiversity of the 200 nautical miles, which is our economic exclusion zone? So in South Africa, we have a range of just over 40 marine protected areas around our exclusive economic zone. And these marine protected areas have varying levels of protection. But what's important is that they've been designed as a network so that we actually protect a large amount of our biodiversity. And they were designed very carefully to have as little conflict with people as possible. So where the new ones are situated, we've tried to make sure that there's as little conflict as possible. Inevitably, any It doesn't of stop the poaching area, of abalone or rock lobster yes. or other things which are economically valuable. So that's exactly. why I asked the question, you know, too. Yeah, no, many, many of our coastal um, MPAs, in some areas there's pretty good management, in some areas there isn't as good a management as there should be. So we still have a lot of work to do here in South Africa to make sure that all of our marine protected areas are properly managed and to make sure that the rules and regulations are properly enforced. So we all have a lot of work to do when it comes to to marine protected areas. But building people's support for marine protected areas is really important. Uh, Firstly, just helping people to understand that we do have game reserves in the ocean because many people don't even know what a marine protected area is. So helping people to understand we have these protected areas, why they're important, and then what people can do to actually support them. Dr. Judy Mann, thanks for talking to us this afternoon, Executive of Strategic Projects at the Two Oceans Aquarium Foundation.